Welcome to Passion Life Church. Good morning, Passion Life Church. This morning we're talking about being just like Jesus, and we are finishing this series, and we've just been talking about how in Romans, the Bible talks about, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it's been our theme scripture, and Paul is writing, and he says this, for whom he foreknew, talking about God, that God foreknew, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And we've just been saying throughout this series that, you know what, God knew you before you came to this earth. He foreknew you. You know that word in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek. It means, it, it means this, that God knew you and then he predestined you, conformed you. He wants you to be molded to the image, that word means likeness, of his son. So God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be born again. He wants us to go to heaven. But he also, on this earth, while we're living on this earth, he wants us to act and be molded to be just like his son, Jesus. Can I hear a good amen this morning? And so we've been talking about how he does that. And, and we've been talking about you're going to grow and you're going to be molded to be like Jesus primarily with your relationship with this word, with the Bible. And last week we talked about loving like Jesus. And it's awesome. I'm telling you, it's awesome to be able to see people in our church to loving on other people like Jesus did. I think last week's message really touched some people because, you know, they were in the lobby loving on each other. And I would just encourage you, my church family, that when you come to church, give yourself 10 minutes after church to talk to people, to love on people. Well, Pastor Phil, I don't really know anybody. Well, you never will if you just keep bolting out. You know, come on. I'm preaching good already. You got to get to know some people, love on some people, be that friend. And today what I want to do, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have a giant Bible screen on the back. And uh, whether you have a, a real Bible or you have an electronic Bible, turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about serving like Jesus, serving like Jesus. Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this scripture and, and I just want to give you a little bit of context of what's happening right now in what we're about to read. This is what we would call the Last Supper. Jesus is going to go through some things in these next couple of hours, but the disciples didn't know. Jesus knew, but the disciples, they didn't know this was the Last Supper until Jesus started talking. So they're, they're actually, while they're at this celebration of what we would call the Passover, they were celebrating, how many of you know what the Passover is? They would celebrate when the Israelites came out of Egypt and so this is the setting is they're celebrating the Passover and all of a sudden the disciples start to argue. They actually start to argue with each other and they're arguing about this question. Who is the greatest? Did you find Luke chapter 22 verse 24? Let's read it. And it says, and there was also strife among them. Talking about the disciples, strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now, I think this is so funny. I just think this is so wild. Here they are 
in this room and they're talking about who's greater. Peter's like, look, I walked on water. I'm pretty great. And then John's like, hey, Peter, uh -uh, look, look where I have my head. I have my head on Jesus's shoulder. Can I just tell you, they're arguing about who's the greatest and the greatest Jesus Christ is in the room and they're arguing about who's the greatest. Pretty funny, huh? I love the Bible because it just shows people's humanness. The word greatest there means in the Greek, who is going to rule? Look at verse 25. And then he said, who's he? Jesus. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Now, the word Gentile here, if you don't know what that means, that means people that are not saved, people that are outside the covenant. You and I are in the covenant. You and I have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus is starting to talk about people and their idea of greatness outside of the covenant. And then he's going to talk about how we should think about greatness in the covenant. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. In other words, these people have a title of honor. Verse 26. But he shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as one who serves. That word chief, listen to this, in the Greek means one who has influence and authority. One who has influence and authority. And Jesus is saying this. Jesus is telling us, in my kingdom, guys, we don't look at greatness like the world looks at greatness because the world thinks greatness comes from a title. But in my kingdom, greatness comes from influence and authority. Influence and authority. Now, Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to want to be great. How many of you know Jesus wants us to be great? He's, that's why he's understanding. He's like, if you're going to be great, I want to make sure that you do it the right way and not in the world's standards, but you have greatness in the way that I show greatness. So he's saying it's not wrong. He's just saying, look, in my kingdom, we measure greatness very different because we think greatness comes from a title. We think greatness comes from a title. And Jesus is saying, look, greatness isn't just about a title. Greatness is about influence and authority. And influence and authority comes from being a servant. Comes from being a servant. You know, I will never play in the NBA. As much as I dream about it, as much as I dream about dunking a basketball, how many of you know, ladies and gentlemen, the white man can't jump? <laughs> I know all things are possible through him, but through him, I am not playing in the NBA. I will never, oh, this is so hard to admit, I will never win a gold medal, never in the Olympics. But you know what Jesus is saying? That I can still be great because I can serve. Everyone can be great because we serve. I love what Martin Dr. Luther King said. He said, everyone has the power of greatness, not for fame, not, uh, but for greatness because that greatness is determined by service, by being able to, to serve. And so Jesus is going to show us 
something here. Let's look at John's account. This we looked at Luke's account. Turn over to John chapter 13 because now we're going to look at John's account of this. Remember, this is what we know of as the Last Supper. And a lot of people, how many of you would agree with me, when we think about the Last Supper, we think that this is like, man, this is going to be a spiritual moment. Like, this is a spiritual moment. And here in this spiritual moment, let me remind you, the disciples are, are arguing. There's tension between them. Now, let me give you a little more context. In this time, in this culture, the table that they used to sit at to eat was probably maybe about three inches tall. It was very, very small off the ground. That's why even sometimes when you read the Bible, you, you hear, you read, they were reclining as they ate. Because the way that they ate is that there was this table and they would recline. I don't know why they would do that. Maybe they just thought a nap was coming on, so they might as well just get in the position. Come on, we're going to take a little siesta, so we might as well just uh, lay down. But here's the problem with that. When they would recline and lay down, their feet could be in somebody else's face. So that means they would have to hire a foot washer, somebody who would wash the feet of everyone. So when you ate, you didn't have stinky toes in your face while you ate. But here was part of the contention and here was part of the strife. I don't know who it was in the disciples that were supposed to contract the foot washer, but nobody brought the foot washer. And there was nobody to wash people's feet. And let's just be honest, even the lowest of the lowest servants didn't want to wash people's feet. And I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes I don't even like to wash my own feet. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Much less somebody else. <laughs> Woo! Ooh, there's just something about toes. I don't know. They're like cheesy or something. But, oh God, he put them there for a reason. And watch this. They're arguing about who's going to be great. There's no foot washer. And look what Jesus does because he's about to do the unthinkable in their culture. John chapter 13, verse four. He says, Jesus, Jesus, he arose from supper and he laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Ladies and gentlemen, this is hours before Jesus would be arrested, before he would go to the cross, die, and then raise again on the third day. This is hours before all of this would happen. If there was anybody that should not have been washing people's feet, it should have been Jesus. Because come on, you know if it was you and I and we were going to the cross, we'd be like, hey, you all better wash these feet because you know these feet are going to have two nails in them and you need to clean them because I'm dying for you. But that was not Jesus's attitude. Hours before he would suffer one of the most gruesome death in humanity, we find him with a towel and water and a bowl bending down, washing his disciples' feet. It's pretty powerful. You know, ladies and gentlemen, he washed John's feet. He washed Judas's feet. And then he comes to Peter. I love Peter. Peter's just like so 
And in John 13, 6, if you just go down to verse 6, watch what happens. Then Jesus comes to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. And then Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. In my Bible, there's an exclamation point there. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. Can I just tell you what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, Peter, if you don't let me do this, we will never be partners because this is what I'm all about, Peter. I'm about serving people and I'm about serving people. And you know what's interesting is that then if you go down in verse 14, it says this, Jesus is speaking, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Listen to verse 15. For I have given you an example. I'm your example, Jesus said. I have given you example. And listen to these last words. That you should do as I have done for you. And he was telling Peter, listen, Peter. I'm going to wash your feet because this is what I'm all about. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to be good in my kingdom because this is what my kingdom is all about. And you know what I love about Jesus? And I'm sorry because I always, when I think about this, it just breaks me down. And maybe it's just because I understand God's grace. But ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to think about the Christmas season and you begin to think about that God didn't have to send his son and God didn't have to send his son and more or less for God to send his son to take on flesh. My church family, Jesus was not born at the Holiday Inn. He was born in a cave. Jesus did not have to come and die a death for you and I. But you know what he did? He did it for us. And while he lived on this earth, he did it as an example to us. Why? So when we look at our lives, we can be just like Jesus. And I'm telling you that this is what our world needs. The world doesn't see, need to see more of my attitude. The world doesn't see, need to see more of Phil Valdez. The world needs to see more people that have decided to be conformed to the image of his son and be just like Jesus. And if you believe that, come on, give him a good round of applause today. Because we have a God who serves. And Jesus is saying, look, what I've done for you, here's the example. Do it for other people. And it's just like, ladies and gentlemen, unapologetically, unapologetically at this point, Jesus is basically saying this. If you wear the label of a Christian, if you are a Christ a Christian, if you're going to follow me, you're going to do what I do. You're, you're going to do what I do. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but I have come to serve. One translation says, I didn't even come uh, to get ministered to, but I came to minister to you. And let, let me just help you. See, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you because leadership is all about serving. It's all about serving. And you know what's sad is our world, people argue and they strive over titles to climb the corporate ladder. Can I just 
help you today. If you'll just serve where you're at, if it's your job, you'll serve people, love people, you will get a title. You will be promoted. But if you're just like Jesus at work, watch, God will open up the doors and, and he will promote you. He will do why? Because that's how he is. But he is saying that if we will serve, we will be the greatest. And you know what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just tell us, go do it. You know what? And it's just a supernatural thing. When we serve people, what happens to us? We get blessed. We get blessed. I remember going on a, a trip to Russia, and we were there for about three weeks, and we were going there to serve people, serve people. And I remember that we went to this orphanage, and it had been affected by uh, Chernobyl. I don't know if you uh, know about Chernobyl. It was probably back in, in, in uh, the 80s where they had a spill. It was a nuclear plant. Many people's lives were affected by them, but what happened was there was many ladies that were in Russia that were pregnant at the time, and they did not know that that chemical spill, that nuclear spill, would affect their pregnancy. And we went to an orphanage of kids who, when their parents gave birth or when the mother gave birth to them, them and saw the birth defect of their child, they left the child. And we went to this orphanage, and I'll never forget the magnitude of seeing these kids. Some of them were deformed. And you know what? All they wanted was love. We walked in there. They were so happy that people came. They were so happy. I mean, literally at the end when we left the orphanage, do you know we had kids hanging on to our legs saying, don't go, don't go. And literally we were trying, and it was the hardest thing. Thing because when we walked away, you just have to say, God, we're leaving, but you're going to have to take care of them. And I'll never forget getting on that bus and people were crying on our team, man. And I was just so heartbroken. And I remember thinking I went to bless and serve them, but I think I got blessed in the process. And that is what God does in our lives. It's not just about serving people. When you serve people, you know what? You get something out of it too. And many times you get more blessed than the person that you gave to. That's why the Bible says it is more blessed to give than what? Than receive. Than receive. That's what John 13, 17, if you go down to verse 17, it says, if you know these things, what things? About serving. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This word blessed in the Greek, the only way kind of to define it is fulfillment. It actually is like a happy, but not a happy like if someone's telling you to joke. It's actually such a fulfillment in your life. But let me ask you a question. What does this look like? What does this look like? A servant, what do they look like? You know what's interesting is that in the New Testament, there are seven different Greek words for the word servant. It's kind of like love. When we talked about love, do you know that there's a couple of different Greek words for the word love? If I were to say, uh, you know, agape love. Agape love is that love of the will, the God kind of love. But you know what? There's another kind of love called eros. And we get the word erotic from that. That eric, it's the kind of love that you feel. And that's the love that you should have with, with your husband or your wife. Can you say a good amen, somebody? 
That's the love that's feeling. And, but you know what? The agape love is a different love. That's the love of the will. It's the God wills to love us and we do that. But it's the same with the word servant. That's why it's good sometimes to, to learn these Greek words and know what they are. But there's seven uh, Greek words for the word servant. I'm not going to go through all seven. I'm just going to go through three. And maybe this can help us look at what God is, is telling us today. The first one is the word doulos. Doulos. The English word, and you will read this in your Bible, the English word is bondservant. Bondservant. And if you're taking notes, you can just write Mark chapter 9, verse 35 there. It says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. One, some translations say slave of all there. Now, a lot of new translations use the word servant because I don't think we understand what, what the slave was back then. A slave back then was a person who would work for someone because they owed a debt to them. That's like you and I working for MasterCard or Visa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we got we to gotta pay a debt. And so uh, this slave would go to work for someone who they owed money to. But here's the cool thing is that there was a law that after seven years, they had, the owner had to let that slave go and, and the debt was called paid. But here's what a bond servant was. I think this is so cool. A bond servant was this slave who after seven years said, hey, you know what? I'm free, the bondservant said this. Master, I don't want to leave you. You have treated me so well. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. That's the word doulos. It's a bondservant. And they would actually volunteer to serve their master because he was so good to them. And they would get an earring. They would get an earring that would say that they were a bondservant. And what, what's the life principle here? The life principle here is that serving should be a lifetime commitment for us as Christians. This servant would literally say, you've treated me so well. I want to live and serve you forever. Anybody feel like that about God? God, I want to serve you forever. Here's the second word, the second Greek word. It's dakonos, dakonos. It means deacon. Now, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in when, when I grew up, but this word deacon, I think I was just grew up, and when I think about the word deacon, I always think about four guys outside behind the church smoking cigarettes. Those were the deacons, right? Obviously, some of you guys went to that church too. That has nothing to do with this definition. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 bears this out. And again, it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That word is dakonos. That word is bond servant. And then it says, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That word is doulos. That word is deacon. Just as the son of man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The best way to describe this word deacon in the English is waiter. Waiter. Like you go to a restaurant and they are there 
to wait on you. What does a waiter do? A waiter looks, they look to see if, hey, is your glass, you need some more water? Let me get you some more water. What do you need? You need a napkin? You know what? Hey, let me go and let me give you a napkin. And a waiter is attending to the needs of others. And that's really the life principle here. The life principle here is that a waiter, a deacon, is serving the needs of others. I'm going to be honest with you. And and I think you'll agree. Sometimes that's why we go to a restaurant, right? We just want somebody to cook for us. Can I get a good amen in the house? We want somebody to bring us our food. And I know you're all going to shout hallelujah when I say this and go home and not have to do any dishes. Come on, somebody. That's why we go out to eat. We can talk. We don't have to worry about anything. We could go, hey, uh, excuse me, could I have a little more iced tea? And they go and they get you a little more iced tea. You don't even have to get up because we like to be served. But I've never been in a restaurant pretty much my whole life. And a waiter be concentrating on themselves. The waiter is 100% concentrated on somebody else's needs, my needs. And this is that word, a person who is concentrated on other person's need. Well, Pastor Phil, I don't, I don't know which needs. You know, can I just tell you, this is so easy, my church family. I just tell people, listen, find a need and fill it. Find a heart that's broken and heal it. They're all around us. One of the most dangerous prayers we could ever pray is, God, let me see people like you see them. Pray that prayer and you will never be the same because you don't just look people on the surface or for the surface or at the surface level. Something God begins to show in you. Hey, look, you need to go to that person. You need to serve that person. That's what this word is all about. Here's the third Greek word. For serving. Are you learning anything this morning? It's huperetes. Huperetes. It means this under rower. Paul was talking in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26, verse 16. He was talking about what Jesus had told him to do. And in Acts 26, 16, it says, Now get up and stand on your feet. I appear to you to appoint you as a servant. That word right there is huperetes. It's under rower. It's as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Let me give you a picture of what this, this kind of looks like. Have you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? Have you seen the movie Ben-Hur? In that time, they would have these guys who would row the ship in the galleys. It was underneath in the galleys, and they would row the ship. And they would say, row and live, row and live, row and live. And they would row. And you know what was interesting is that that ship, the whole the whole energy of it, the whole how fast it went, went determined by these under rowers and you know what you couldn't even see their face because they were in the inward part of the ship they were in the inward galleys and that ship would go places and yet you had these guys who were underneath who you didn't know who they were but they were rowing we were rowing they were rowing and you know what they were producing all the power of the ship but no one knew who they were And you say, Pastor Phil, how does that apply to me? You know, I think sometimes as a servant, I would say all the time, we need to be willing to to be anonymous. 
We need to give and not always want the, the glory and the title because all, in all honesty, the glory goes to God. Can I hear a good amen? See, we can't make even reaching our, 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 our community. We can't make it about passion life. This isn't about me as a pastor. You know what this is about? This is about doing stuff for God so he will get the glory. Who cares about who gets the title? You know, you know it's funny because we, we had done some outreach work. In, in, uh, we have a good relationship uh, with the Head Start program in Temecula and a Head Start program here in Marietta. We've done some great things for them. We always consider them and we've given backpacks to them and just, you know, we've given uh, Christmas toys to them. And, uh, and they called me up and they said, hey, we're having a huge banquet and um, we want you to come. I said, oh, well, thank you. And, you know, they gave me this incredible certificate and, uh, you know, they honored us. They honored the church uh, and they, but on the name of the certificate, it had my name. And I had to go back to them and I said, I'm sorry, I know you put my name here, but this is not about my name. You need to put on this certificate, Passion Life Church, because it's because of all of us and all of us working together that we were able to do this. And you know what? If you're always looking for your name to be in lights and your name to get the glory, you know, you have the wrong attitude and it'll rob you of the greatness and here, this word, under rower, the life principle is, it's about magnifying Jesus, not me. Magnifying Jesus, not me. You can write this down. I put this in my notes. So a servant, a servant is someone who makes a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that it magnifies Jesus, not me. Let me say that again. A servant is someone who makes a lifetime commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that it magnifies Jesus. Amen. Not me. Not me. Not me. And I want to tell you this. Serving is a little tough sometimes. It's inconvenient. But the more I do it, the more I love it. And one of the reasons why I love it is not only because I see what God does through me and get to see and experience his power, but you know what I love about it? I know that I'm being just like Jesus. Because when you serve somebody else, ladies and gentlemen, you are taking on the very character of Christ. But I believe if you're going to be a servant, you're going to have to make four decisions. And I put these uh, in my notes. These four decisions you're going to have to make to be this kind of person. And here's the first one. A servant puts service over status. A servant will put service over status. See, if you just leave yourself alone, you're going to find that all you're going to take care of is you. All you're going to take care of is you. And look what Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Listen, I'm telling you this, if you have this mentality, you know what? I'm going to value you over valuing me. That is the attitude of Christ. But here's what happens. People say, well, Pastor Phil, then if I'm valuing other people, who's going to take care of me? God does. I love the scripture that says, as I refresh others, I myself become refreshed. 
But you know what? So many people are so busy just taking care of themselves. So many people just taking, I've even been around people that you try to help them. You try to serve them. They won't even let you serve them because they're too busy taking care of themselves. But see, here's the reality. A servant puts service over status. I like to say this about our church. I like to say this about me, even as the pastor. A pastor is just a title. It's funny because I had somebody come up to me the other day and go, hey, Phil, you know, Pastor Phil, somebody called you Phil. They didn't call you Pastor Phil. What are you gonna do about it? I said, let's call security. Let's call the cops. Get him out of there. I don't care what you call me because it's not what you call me that gives me my calling. My calling comes from him. Listen, you can call me Pastor Phil. You can call me Phil. You can call me, hey, you, that's cool. As long as you don't use profanity, we're good. We're good. We're good. I was, listen, I was a pastor before anybody gave me the title. And that's what I look for in my church, in our church. I look for people who are already acting in those roles. Listen, if you are waiting for a title to do something, you're going to be waiting a long time. But you know what? I'm looking for people who are already serving. I'm looking for people who are already acting in that title. And you will get the title after you've been doing what you need to be doing. But I love this. This, this helps me. Maybe this will help you. Even as the pastor, I think about this. What I am a part of is bigger than the part I play. What I'm a part of, I'm accountable to you as a pastor. What I'm a part of is bigger than just the part I play. Yeah, but you're the pastor. Yeah, but you know what? I'm not a pastor if there's no people to care for. So you know what? We have to have that attitude. What I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. A servant puts service over status. Can I just, can I just say this real quick before we go on to the next one? One of the things I've learned about leadership is leadership really has nothing to do with title. Leadership has everything to do with influence. And there are many of us in this room that have been around people who have been our boss or maybe someone in the classroom who they had the title, but they never influenced you because they only relied on their title. And a title will only get you so far. But one of the things that I've realized, if I could serve, serving always brings influence. I don't care what level you are at. When I've worked secular jobs, you know what? You could call me the cart boy. I remember my wife and I, we laugh all the time. She's like, I keep hearing all these random jobs that you had growing up. I'm still learning more about you. I, I must have done every single job growing up. But you know what? I used to think it was about a title, but it's not about a title. I remember that I used to work for Sam's and I was the cart boy at Sam's and we'd have to get this long rope and we'd take about 15 carts all the way up the hill. You know what? But while I was doing that, they never asked me to take out the trash in the carts, but you know what I did? I thought this is where I work and I want God to be glorified here. And I would get in those carts and I would take out all the trash and I'd be throwing out the trash. Do you know, like in three weeks, they asked me to be a cashier and they promoted me, not because I had a title or needed a title. I just started doing it because I wanted to serve that place. And it's not even about me. I wanted people to see Jesus. What would Jesus do if he worked where you work? And I'm going to be honest with you. It gets under my skin when people say, well, I'm just going to do only this. And then, you know, for us as Christians, we're called to go the second mile. 
And it's hard for some people to go the first, but I think when we're thinking about us, we just go for the first, but we're supposed to go beyond. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We have the power on the inside of us to influence this world. And I'm telling you what, if you'll serve people, you won't have to talk to them a lot about the gospel because they'll see the gospel in action. Come on, somebody. See the gospel in action. It's not just about status. It's about service. Here's number two. If you're going to be this kind of person, a servant puts character over comfort. Character over comfort. You know, God is interested in your character. Well, Pastor Phil, God just wants me to be happy. No, God's more interested in your character than you being happy. You know, if I were to go to my six-year-old son tomorrow, Monday morning, and it's funny because he always knows when it's Monday morning. He knows when it's the weekend because he's up early on the weekends, but he knows when it's school because he wants to sleep in. And if I were to go to my six-year-old son tomorrow and say, Gavin, what do you want to do today? Because I want you to be happy, Gavin. He would say, Dad, I want to stay home from school and I want to go to Toys R Us and I want to go to Target and I want to go to the toy section. Then I want to go get ice cream. And, and I would say, you're not doing that. You're going to school. You're going to get up. You're going to make your bed. You're going to go to school. And you know what? You're going to get A's. You're going to go to, you know why? And he, oh, my wife says she knows, oh, dad, I'm so tired. Get up and go to school. He doesn't like it now, but I could be, oh, I'm just about, I just want you to be happy. You know what? He's not going to be happy at 26 when he has no education. And then he's going to come back and say, dad, how come you didn't make me go to school? But you know what? At 26, because I'm interested in his character and who he's becoming, and after he goes to college, after he finishes high school, at 26, he's going to look bad, back and he's going to say, Dad, I'm so happy with the job that I got. Because, you know, I, I'm more interested in his character right now than I am his comfort. And that's how God is with us. He's more interested in who we are becoming and growing. And you know what? <laughs> it's not easy. Growing up is never easy. Can I hear a good amen in this church? It's never easy. I thought, oh, when I get, when I was 19, when I get 20, I'll grow up. I get, I got 20 and I still felt like I was 15. And now, oh, you know what? I'll grow up when I'm 30. I got 30 and I'm like, now I'm 40, 45. You have to submit to the process and say, God, you know what? Take out the stuff in my character that doesn't glorify you. Mold me into your image. And you know what? After that, you'll be happy. You'll be happy with the person that you become. But can I just say serving is never really convenient. It's never really convenient. And that's what we see in the message of the Good Samaritan. Have you ever heard that story in Luke chapter 10? I'm going to just read it real quick out of this message paraphrase. It's called the Message Bible. I really like it. It's just real uh, down-to-earth English. It says, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him when he saw the man's condition. His heart 
went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and, and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him up on his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs me any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. And then Jesus asked this, what do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man that was attacked by robbers? And the one who treated him, the one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded, and listen to what Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and do the same. I heard Dr. King talk about this one time. And uh, what he said is he said that the priest and the Levite, they asked the wrong question. This is the question they asked. Well, if I stop and help this man, what's going to happen to me? Wrong question. Any way that you answer that question, it's wrong. You can't have that attitude. But here's the right attitude. The right question is we ask, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? In my church family, there's a scripture in Hebrews that tells us that we have a God who empathizes with us that came to this earth and felt everything that we would feel and was tempted in every way. He empathized with you and I. And how can I, how can you as Christian people look at the world and look at their pain and look at their hurt and not empathize with them and walk right on by? And walk right on by. My church family, we've got to put character over comfort. We need to touch people's lives. Here's the third one, the decision that we'll have to make. A servant puts we over me. We over me. You hear people all the time. I just do my own thing. I just, I just like doing my own thing. <laughs> well, can I just tell you, you need to be a part of a we. You need to be part of a body. You need to be part of a local body. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, Then all the believers were together. In other words, all the believers came together, and having everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Here's the reality, my church family. We can do more than you can do by yourself. Let me say that again. We together can buy backpacks for Head Start and give all of Head Start backpacks like we did. We can reach a community. We can do that. We can do it together. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you been to Westfield, Ohio? to plant a church? Have any of you ever been out there? Have you ever planted a church in Westfield, Ohio? Anybody ever do that? Nobody, nobody in this room? But you know what? Actually, you did. You did plant a church in Westfield, Ohio. You know how you did that? Through your tithes and your offerings. Because every time you give to Passion Life Church, one of our missions that we do is we give a percentage to ARC, which is a church planting organization that has now planted 600 churches in the time that they've had. We are part of that organization. But every time you have given, you have given money to plant churches all around the world. You've never been there, but guess what? Your giving has. You know why? Because a we is better than me. 
Let me try this side over here. A we is better than me. We can do more together. You've never been there. You've never been to Ohio to plant a church. But guess what? Your giving went. And because of what we're doing, we are help planting churches all around the world. Can we just give God a great thanks for that? That's so awesome. People's lives are going to be touched. And here's the last one for today, number four. It's a decision you're going to have to make. A servant puts worship over wealth. A servant puts worship over wealth. I believe Jesus is coming again. I really do. Number four, a servant puts worship over wealth. Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. It talks about Jesus coming back. Listen to this. And when the son of man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as shepherds divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Listen to what he says. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of the Father. He's going to bless them. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, listen to this, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer to them and say this, assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did to one of the least of these brethren, you have done it to me. You have done it to me. My church family, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but there is something wrong with wealth when you worship it. And as a servant, we have to put our worship over our wealth. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear my heart. When what you have, you hold on to so tightly that you won't be able to help somebody else in need, then you are putting your wealth over your worship. And Jesus is saying, and this is so powerful, what you do for other people, you do it unto me. You do it unto me. This is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And today, as I close, I want to remind you today, there was somebody in your life who inspired you to be just like Jesus. It may have been a Sunday school teacher, a coach, a teacher. There was somebody who loved on you, maybe when you weren't lovable. There was somebody who served you even when you didn't want to serve. In my church family, it's our turn now. I said, it's our turn now. It's your turn now because Jesus served. Let's serve other people. Thank you for listening today. 
We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 